This is Front Range Focus. I'm Robin Hart, and thank you so much for listening. These past two years have been incredibly hard for all of us, from the young kids, the young school-age kids, to the teenagers, of which I have two of them, to adults and seniors as well. And your mental health is so important. Maybe it's something that you are, in fact, hoping to improve this year, like so many other people. Um, On that note, because it's been such a tough time um, using substances, whether alcohol or a pot or opioids, uh, to cope with all of this, it happens. And the last two years of the pandemic have wreaked havoc on young people who are struggling with addiction and mental health issues. The latest studies cite a 49% increase in overdose death rates for this demographic alone. And on that note, I've invited Dr. Josh Bloom to join me. He is from the Denver Health Center for Addiction Medicine, and he's the medical director for education there. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Bloom. Thanks so much for having me here, Robin. Oh, absolutely. I love your mission statement, because of the stigma of addictions, of substance abuse. At the Center for Addiction Medicine, there are no wrong doors. Explain that to begin with. Well, uh, at Denver Health, um, and essentially because the the epidemic of addiction has uh, just been so profoundly worse over the last few years, we realized we have to offer addiction treatment in locations uh, that are not necessarily traditional uh, sites of care. So instead of just having a standalone addiction treatment facility, we believe that anyone who walks into our emergency department or someone walking into a primary care clinic or uh, an an individual getting admitted to our inpatient hospital service, um, any of those spots should be places where people can access addiction treatment. And so the concept of no wrong door is that we have a coordinated system where no matter where you enter into addiction treatment, you can continue that treatment uh, through the course of your medical journey and beyond. Mm, Such a good plan, especially here in the past couple of years. I mean, what is going on, Dr. Bloom? Well, it's really unprecedented. Um, We've seen just an incredible combination of um, a lot of really bad substances, um, particularly the rise of illicit fentanyls that are so, so incredibly prevalent and easy to acquire now, um, and yet so dangerous, uh, so lethal, uh, causing an epidemic of overdose deaths, um, but also creating a lot of new users. Um, at the same time, we also have a really permissive and, and really uh, I think, uh, incredibly well-developed alcohol distribution system that affects people. When you combine that with the isolation people felt during the pandemic years and more people using alone and drinking alone, that just led to a lot of really dangerous behaviors and a lot of uh, really bad health outcomes. The number of overdose deaths has increased by so much, by 64% in Denver, is that right, in just one year? Yes, it's just been really awful for those of us working on the front lines, um, including my friends at uh, the Harm Reduction Action Center um, that serve uh, drug users every day. We've all just really been shell-shocked by the number of our clients who've died in the last year, and it just really hits you hard um, when you just hear of another person who you saw one day and is gone the next week. And these overdose deaths, uh, particularly, I guess I'm thinking of the fentanyl, um, is it true that these tablets that they're buying on the street, it's more uh, dangerous than they know? Yeah, uh, the DEA released a warning recently because uh, somewhere around 42% of every fentanyl tablet uh, that is out there contains a lethal dose of fentanyl. 
So uh, there's just no, it's really difficult to uh, titrate to the right amount that you feel is going to relieve maybe your withdrawal symptoms or even get you high uh, without killing you. I'm, I'm also the parent of uh, children and have told my kids under no uncertain terms, please don't use any pills, no matter, no matter what they look like. Please, please don't use any pills. Right. And particularly if they're gotten off the streets, not from a prescription. I mean, just to say, because you don't know what that's made with, right? Exactly. And they're, they're really so good at, at looking like the drug they're supposed to mimic. So um, we've heard a lot about blues. These are fentanyl tablets that look like prescription oxycodone 30 milligram tablets, but they may also masquerade as uh, drugs like Xanax, which um, are pretty prevalent on the street as well. That's what I read about. And that just scared me to death. I, I have two teenagers, one 21-year-old um, who's in college. And yeah, you just, you don't even know what they're running into when they go to parties, right? Yep. And, and so we've told our kids, please don't use any pills and also please carry Narcan. So we've really tried to get Narcan or Naloxone in the hands, not only of people who use drugs, but also anybody who knows anyone who uses drugs or is around people who use drugs. And it may be that someone didn't mean to use fentanyl and wanted to use something entirely different, but inadvertently did use fentanyl. And you just want to have Narcan on hand uh, in case you're able to reverse an overdose. You know, we actually have that at our house, but it's only because I had surgery and because of the pain pills that they gave me after, they also gave me that just in case to have in the house. I'd say it's pretty enlightened. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that because it's certainly not the standard of care, I think, for everyone receiving an opioid prescription, but I think it's just best practice. And I think we should all be in the habit of having this around. A lot of people liken it to having a fire extinguisher in your kitchen. When you have to look at all the different ways that people get high or run into trouble um, with substance abuse, uh, can you list them in terms of the most dangerous or the most you see, or you've got everything from pot to alcohol? Right. Well, from from danger, it really depends on if you're talking about short term or long term. We still definitely know that alcohol kills more people per year and costs more than any other drug uh, that's out there. Um, in terms of acute risk and uh, risk of acute death, certainly uh, opioids and uh, amphetamines, especially methamphetamine, um, which is increasingly potent and pure. Uh, are are the two I would say two most dangerous substances. Um, again, the fentanyl tablets. It's it's just hard to know what you're getting, and if you're going to get a lethal dose and uh, never wake up again. Um, methamphetamine also, with its increasing purity and uh, and potency, uh, that's another drug that's implicated in up to maybe 40 percent of all overdose deaths in the West. I'm talking with Dr. Josh Bloom from the Center for Addiction Medicine at Denver Health. So, Dr. Bloom, talk about uh, Denver Health's Center for Addiction Medicine. Uh, you're obviously treating everyone from kids to seniors. How different is it, I guess, to treat each individual? You know, it's, it's really uh, amazing that this is kind of the same disease and, and people come with certain patterns, but every single case is totally unique and totally different. And um, part of the great thing about my job is meeting people who are in distress. And even though there's similarities, uh, just hearing their individual stories and what brought them to us is in incredibly rewarding and in trying to help them. But um, across that spectrum, whether you're a teen being seen in a teen clinic or um, an older adult being seen uh, 
in the emergency department, um, we just know we have to do something no matter where someone shows up. And so um, in our emergency department, if, if someone presents with a skin abscess, hopefully that provider is going to ask him or her if that's related to drug use, and if so, if that person wants treatment. And then we have on-call social workers who are there to do uh, intakes on those individuals and get them linked into care, and the patients can receive, in many cases, medications right there in the emergency department, um, first of all, to make them feel better, but also to hopefully get them connected into ongoing treatment. So uh, um, everybody is different, but we just hope we can offer something to everyone who presents, no matter what part of our health system they present in. For someone who's listening right now, what are the questions that they should be asking themselves in terms of, do they need treatment? Maybe they should come and they should call you. They should come see you. Really, there's the disease of addiction or substance use disorder um, is really, it's usually not a hard diagnosis to make, Robin. It's um, when the person is no longer controlling their drug use, but the drug use is controlling them, that's that's the sign to, that you need help. Um, so uh, sometimes people refer to the four C's. Uh, that's uh, difficulty with control. You can't control your use. Um, compulsive use, uh, certainly. Um, and craving uh, is another really, really big one. Um, and then certainly if people experience withdrawal symptoms, that's, uh, that's another um, sign that you may have a physical dependence to a drug and that drug is now controlling you. So if you're listening right now, you would just call that number, 303-436-5711? That's certainly uh, a one way to access treatment. Also, again, just showing up in our emergency department saying, I want help is a way to get help. There's just something I want to say about treatment, Robin, which is that we know, particularly with regard to opioid use disorder, that treatment works. So of all the things that are evidence-based, you know, we think of naloxone or Narcan as being something that can reverse an overdose death. But what really keeps people alive uh, who have the disease of opioid addiction is getting into treatment with evidence-based therapies like methadone or buprenorphine. Um, it's, it's really about 25 fewer deaths per thousand patient years. So 25 fewer deaths per thousand people per year that engage in treatment uh, with these medications. So um, if you have opioid use disorder and you're basically playing roulette with fentanyl every day, getting on this treatment will mean you're just that much less likely to die. So um, very evidence-based, very proven to work, and absolutely the safest way and the best way to keep someone you love or yourself alive. Right. And as opposed to just completely abstaining, which is very, very hard to do, especially without counseling, right? Yeah, it's admirable when people want to abstain, but we know that these drugs actually conformationally change your brain, and your brain doesn't go back to normal when you stop using. And, of course, what happens when you abstain from opioids is your tolerance goes down. So then even if you do great for months, if in a moment of weakness, if you relapse, you're even more likely to die with that first relapse because your tolerance is lower. What have you learned in the past couple of years during this pandemic and this ramp up of the overdose deaths and just people using and getting into trouble? I think what I've learned is that um, people feel really lonely. Um, people feel uh, like their mental health has really suffered and, and people are just lacking connection. They're lacking connection to, to people who care about them and who they can care about. And they're lacking people to talk to. And so sometimes when people come in and see us for treatment, I feel like half of what we offer is, is just the ear, the ability to listen and validate their experience and make them feel like they're not alone and they're not the only ones experiencing uh, this 
terrible disease. So hard to do when here we are in the middle of a pandemic. A lot of people are, are not, you know, leaving their homes. They're getting their groceries online, picking them up, working from home. When they're not hanging out with other people, other people can't even notice that they might be doing something that... Um, that would be bad for them. Yeah, that's right. And that's why about two-thirds of overdose deaths actually occur in people's homes, usually in people using alone. And that's uh, another piece of advice we try to give to people. Even if you are using drugs, please, please, please don't use alone. Please use small amounts at first, kind of test doses, if you will. Uh, and um, please have Narcan on hand because being alone, whether it's using alone or drinking alone, is just high risk and also just shuts us out from other people and the people who can support us. Of all things, um, on my Nextdoor app, you know, sometimes I get lost in that, just reading what people are writing. And sometimes people are just reaching out. And one of the threads was all about uh, a person's friend, loved one who had an overdose death. And what they said, I thought, was really interesting, which I hadn't known. And that was that this person had abstained for so long and was sober and then all of a sudden used again and died the first time. Yep, that's just the most heartbreaking story you can hear. Mm -hmm. And so sad because we know, you know, the disease of addiction, Robin, it's like any other disease. It has periods of remission and maybe periods of relapse. And people, just because someone relapses once doesn't mean they've failed addiction treatment. We expect that. That's something we, we see every day with addiction. We expect people to relapse here and there, but it's what happens after that relapse. Can they get back into treatment quickly? Can they keep their job? Can they keep their relationships? But if someone dies with that first relapse, they don't ever get that chance again. Right. And I think one of the people were, was pointing out that um, because they're, uh, they're not used to using anymore, that one smaller dose than they were used to before will kill them. That's absolutely true. So you might be used to using uh, three tablets of fentanyl a day, and if you go back and then suddenly use a whole tablet when you haven't used anything for a while, that may be the first and, and only chance you get, uh, and, and you because your tolerance is lower, um, it can result in uh, an overdose. And if there's not someone there to reverse you, you're, you, you may die from that. Um, that's why we also recommend sometimes um, for those who want to come off of medications like methadone or buprenorphine, the medicine naltrexone, which is an opioid blocker. People who are on that medicine, even if they relapse, they're not going to die because there's a, an opioid blocker inhabiting those opioid receptors that doesn't allow the drug to, to get in there and, and slow down the respirations. That's amazing. Thank you so much for informing us about all of this. And thank you for the great work that you do here in our community. Thank you so much, Robin. I'm really profoundly grateful just to have the opportunity to get the information out there and hopefully get someone new connected to treatment. Absolutely. Dr. Josh Bloom from Denver Health's Center for Addiction Medicine. That phone number again for services, treatment services is 303-436-5711. This is Front Range Focus. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Robin Hart. Sarah Hornbuckle, the amazing singer, songwriter, musician for the Rick Lewis Project, is here with me now. And you know what? She's not only a great artist, but she, along with her husband, Michael Hornbuckle, uh, from RLP, run a nonprofit. It's called the Hornbuckle Foundation. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. What an introduction. Thank you for writing. <laughs> I have such a hard time writing my own introductions, and you just were so flattering. Thank you. Oh, you are so welcome. Well, you know, I've seen you perform a number of times, and I, I just love your voice, and 
Um, love you and Michael so much. I'm I'm so proud to you know to know you through Rick Lewis. So. Thank you. I've I've seen you rip it up on the dance floor, girl. You got some moves. <laughs> Thank you. I know you guys have a great band in the Rick Lewis Project. Um, The Hornbuckle Foundation, how long has that been a thing with you guys? When did you start that? Well, Michael, my husband, who's executive director, he started it with Tomas Hernandez from Tribe Recovery Homes um, in 2015. Um, And when Michael and I met, we met actually through the Rick Lewis Project in 2016 um, we started dating, got married um, a year and a half later in 2018, and Tomas kept saying, you need, to, you need to join the board. You need to join the board. And I said, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. And um, I ended up getting my um, peer recovery coach certification, started providing recovery coach for women in addiction um, in Colorado, and just fell in love with it. And so I kind of bounced the idea around. Um, and then at the end of 2019, we started a sober living scholarship program Um, and so added this program to the foundation and it just has taken off um, in the last two years wow since 2015 Uh, that's that's amazing and by the way you guys it's hornbucklefoundation.org if you want to know everything there is to know about their foundation Um, real quick you have a comedy night coming up on friday night march 11th tell us about that because you've got some great guests the amazing josh blue is joining us. Um, We have Ron Ferguson. He's been awesome of, of helping us get it, get it all together and, um, and recruit. So different um, artists, uh, comedians for this night. We have Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald, Movita, um, and then Rick Lewis is going to be our MC. We're going to we're going to we're asking him to come with some jokes because you know he used to do stand up <laughs> back in the day, and I so we're going to kind that. of bring it out of him. Um, it's so it's from seven thirty to nine thirty at the Blue Note um, in Parker. So the show is is forty dollars. Um, that if you want dinner and a drink at sixty dollars, then all the proceeds go um, towards the Hornbuckle Foundation and providing hope and services for people who are suffering from addiction. That's great. And I know, I mean, I took a look at the website and, um, you know, I I was touched so much by Michael's story. So Michael Hornbuckle, um, your husband puts, you know, put a video up there on the Web page talking about his own experiences. Um, and, it, and it is so touching. You know, it's I mean, it inspired him to start a foundation, getting, you know, becoming recovered, started the foundation. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, it's such an honor to be a part of it. Um, I always tease Michael and I tell him that he's like a fine wine, you know, because we're both in recovery. We don't drink. But, you know, he just gets better with age um, and is, is the more that he, longer that he's in recovery. And, and I see him just guide hundreds, um, including a whole team of recovery coaches um, and families, friends, moms. Um, he is just he's our fearless leader is, is who I what I call him. He actually, um, in our scholarship program, we've we scholarshiped over 100 people, um, and we have another, you know, 80 clients in the recovery coaching um, field is what we do as a business. And so he really mentors and guides, and, um, you know, he's a dad. He adopted uh, my children, you know, when we got married, and um, I just couldn't be more proud. You know, he shouldn't even be alive. Um, he, he has... Um, you know, his journey, as he said in that video, has been harrowing um, as far as the heroin addiction, you know, really addiction to everything. And 
Um, he's a he's a blues legend in, in Colorado. Um, and to, just to see him thrive um, in this industry and the compassion and the empathy, but also, you know, he's not afraid to tell somebody, hey, you're you look like you're going to die. You know, mm. we don't you don't get some help. But he knows how to do it in a way that's not accusatory or shaming. You know, he just has this what he calls it a unique gift. It's a unique skill set by lived experience. That's how he's gotten that experience is to convey it with love and kindness, but also the truth that people need to hear. They say the truth will set you free. And he has a unique way of delivering that and teaching other coaches, including me, how to deliver that message to people that time is of the essence, that life is really depending upon what your next step is. So true. I would encourage everyone to go to the hornbucklefoundation.org and check out Michael's video. Um, he says he wanted to live, he wanted to recover, you know, and he also said that it's, he realizes it's not the same for everyone getting sober recovery. Mm -hmm. It's not the same trip for everyone. And so that's why they try to tailor things for you. Exactly. Yeah. We coach around the eight dimensions of wellness. So it's a really holistic way of going, how's, what's your environment look like? What's your occupation? What's your spiritual life, your physical health? What are all of these things? And we ask um, our clients, where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? Because we can tell you what to do all day long, but we've never walked a day in your shoes. We don't know who you are and what your um, desires and your dreams and your hopes are. Some people have none. So we kind of start there. You know, what's something that you, you wanted to do? Um, and we walk side by side with people, helping them accomplish just one thing at a time. You know, maybe the goal is just to wake up in a sober tomorrow. You know, so how do we get there? What's going, what are some things that we can put in place to help you accomplish that one small goal? And then as people get more, more recovery, maybe they hit 30 days or 60 days, 90, when your brain starts to clear and you go, oh my gosh, maybe I'm going to make it. Um, We get to kind of expand on those goals. So it's a relationship um, based on, you know, between me and this other person or a coach and their client of um, where they're friends, but where they're a cheerleader. You know, they say only about 15% of people who struggle with addiction get into a 12-step meeting. So we, we love working, you know, 12-step programs and we, we encourage that, but it doesn't work for everybody. Um, so what are some other options and resources? So part of our job is to stay connected to the recovery community and figure out what resources are available and where people fit in. You get in where you fit in. Find like-minded people. It's the disease of addiction, it's isolating, and isolation kills. Mm. So how can we get you connected? So you set people up for success. Yes, that is always the goal. Yeah. Sober living, you know, a lot of people have spent so much money, as you guys point out on your webpage. People have spent so much money on the addiction maybe getting help, maybe some legal costs because they've gotten Mm -hmm. into trouble, medical costs, you know, they usually don't have the money then to um, to do another stint at rehab um, or to, you know, get this recovery coaching from you. And that's what the foundation is all about. And the scholarships, right? Correct. So we have a, a, a unique niche is where we scholarship people that are coming directly out of a residential treatment program. Um, So they have to be in for at least 30 days. And we found that there's a 35% increase in success if they work along with a recovery coach. So what we do is we ask people to commit to a 90 days. So we help them find the right sober living for them as well. So we work with 65 um, sober living partners in Colorado, all the way from Fort Collins down to Colorado Springs, Aurora, Lakewood, I mean, all over um, and we find what's a good fit for that person. And Michael actually does this personally as he talks to them on the phone to figure out where a great spot is for them. Then we pay weekly. 
So all these program fees. So if you meet with your recovery coach, we'll pay your, your sober living fees that week. Um, and so we do 100% of the first month, half of the second, and 25% of the third. That way we're given a hands up and not a hands out. So they know coming in, you got four weeks to find a job to pay 50% of your rent next month. But we're still going to be alongside of you, coaching you. How do, do we have to build a resume? Is there budgeting? Is there, you know, what kind of um, job are you good at? Do you need to have transportation, um, you know, needs that we have to work out? So it's very overwhelming when you get out, you have a, a load of debt and not a lot of clear direction. Your brain is not quite all together after 30 days of sobriety. It's just not. And so you have a partner who can, who can help you conquer those things one step at a time so it's not overloading. Um, when it can get too much, just like anybody else outside of recovery, if you are overwhelmed, you, so, you just want to declare bankruptcy on life. And that's where I believe is what contributes to a lot of suicide, a lot of relapse, and where people just give up because it's too hard, it's too much. But if you've got one person that's walking alongside of you and sharing that load with you, it's a lot easier. And you have a more... Um, a more reality that you can succeed. Go, oh my gosh, I could actually, maybe this could happen for me. And what happens after those three months then? Um, how do they find a new coach or, or what is it, you know, because they, they probably still need somebody, right? They never lose their coach. As long as you want to work with us, we will work with you. Okay. So we, yeah, we are, um, we actually do had people that have worked with us for a year and a half to two years and people want to just do the 90 days and say, I'm okay. Because again, there's, it's, it's not one size fits all. Maybe some people just need 90 days, you know, and then they have their own community. Maybe they have found a counselor they like or, or a church that they can be a part of or, um, you know, or somebody else. But if you want to still work with us, uh, we accept um, Medicaid, but insurance, private pay, but we also have um, scholarship funding for that recovery coaching program as well. And that's where we get back to the Hornbuckle Foundation comedy night, you guys, which is March 11th. It's a Friday night, which is nice. 7.30 at uh, Blue Note Bar and Grill. Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald and Josh Blue. Wow. Ron Ferguson. I know. <laughs> Vida, and Rick Lewis, our friend who's going to MC for you. There's also something else I want to throw out there, Sarah, because it. Uh, I found this just on social media the other day. Blues for Boulder. You guys are doing something at Herman's Hideaway for the Boulder Wildfire Foundation. It yes. is Sunday, January 30th from 12 to 8 p.m. So, I just want to throw that out there to everyone. If you love good blues music and you want to come and listen to some blues for a cause, uh, the Hornbuckles will be out there for that as well, huh? Yeah, thank you for doing that. You know, we have, uh, there's been people in the recovery community. You know, we had one guy that had just bought a house, just moved in three weeks later, the whole thing burned down. Um, You know, and so the thousand people, you know, that just need that extra support and help. Uh, We wanted to be a part of that. And so Michael's really had headline in that one, you know, as he is the blues guy in Denver, you know, yeah. he's my favorite, but I'm biased, you know, <laughs> um, of what he's able to do. So Jake Loggins is coming up, um, Mojo Mama, Soul School, Brian Hornbuckle, you know, our brother, uh-huh. Steven the Cruisers, and there's a few more that are coming through. Um, and Vince Converse is going to come. I don't know if you remember Vince. Um, and then Kai Turner is going to emcee it for us. Nice. Um, Looks like, yeah. And then all of the proceeds are going directly to Boulder County Wildfire Fund. So they're all doing that um, as a pro bono um, basis just to help out our community. Yeah, as you know, they need a lot of help. You have someone you know that uh, lost their home. I mean, sometimes the insurance is not enough, especially in this day and age. You know, people are finding out that their insurance companies are not going to pay them enough to rebuild. So 
it's such heartbreaking, such a heartbreaking thing. It really is. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for all that you do, you know, sharing your art, which is such a beautiful thing. I, I really feel like music is healing. And for me, you know, anytime I'm down or something, I mean, I just turn on my favorite stuff, you know, and it mm-hmm. makes me feel better. And it must feel so good for you. This is what I always think about artists. I think it must feel so good for them to be able to belt out a song. It must make them feel so much better. You know, I mean, I can sing in the shower, but it's not, you know, it's not the same. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's, it is tough on musicians to sing to like a dead crowd, you know, or like just be back, you know, cause our egos get hurt a little bit, <laughs> you know, but man, when we get to experience that energy exchange with the audience um, and, and really feel what we're doing and, and enjoy that time with our bands and the audience and there's nothing like it. It's an adrenaline rush, you know, that we can get. Um, and we love to um, encourage, you know, music for, in recovery as well, because it's, it's a high that you get. That's not from a substance, but it's just from the power of music. The Hornbuckle Foundation Comedy Night again, you guys, Friday night, March 11th, and it's at the Blue Note Bar and Grill. Get tickets in advance. Also, go to hornbucklefoundation.org. If you guys have been listening to Sarah tell the story of the foundation and all that they can do for you, please give them a call. Sarah, thank you so much. It's so good to talk to you again and to uh, hear you tell this story. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to hugging you in person. I'm Robin Hart. This has been Front Range Focus, a public affairs production of iHeartRadio of Denver. 